My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by Seth Payne, former member of the Houston Texans, host of Sports Radio 610 in the morning. How are you doing tonight, Seth? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on again. I, I don't know if your listeners know this or not, but we actually recorded like 40 minutes of podcast gold a couple months ago, and we, and we lost it. And I'm pretty sure it was my fault, but you've been gracious enough to act like it was your fault, so thank you for that. It was 100% my fault. And there's like some weird B-side out there, like whenever this podcast has like a whenever they turn the lights off whatever that nirvana box set was that comes out you know 30 years or whatever it will yeah. somehow be scrubbed only with my audio without your audio on it and that was the problem but i'm excited to have re- redemption and uh and to do this tonight and talk about you know the texans 2019 season yeah man i'm uh you know i was talking to you about it a little bit before we started up and I know you just wrote like 10,000 words about the season preview. I've been out at practice every day and I've been fully absorbed in enough of the preseason that I've, I've completely and totally talked myself into being delusionally optimistic about a few things that I probably shouldn't. And I know that when we come to the New Orleans Saints game, some of those are going to come crashing to the earth. But I've, I've realistically talked myself into some things that I was super pessimistic about like three weeks ago. Yeah, and I'm excited to hear more about this because I know that you guys are out there every day you're around the team and really the view I have is there's a, there's a taco bell outside my window and there's the internet. And that's all I know about the Texans practice. And, <laughs> and I, I haven't watched the second preseason game yet just cause I vehemently, you know, dislike preseason football. It's so hard because you watch these guys. And even when you're watching, you know, the running backs battle, and you're trying to figure out, all right, is it Demaria Crockett or is it, uh, you know, well, well, we haven't seen Duke Johnson yet, but Kron Higdon. So like Kron Higdon versus Demaria Crockett. I thought I thought Demaria Crockett looked a lot better in the second preseason game, but he was also going against backups and he had better blocking in front of him. And he also had Joe Webb as his quarterback the whole time. And Joe Webb kind of opens things up for the runners the way the way that O'Brien's calling things, at least. So I... I, it's it's really hard, and you try to you try to be impartial about things, and remember that guys are just going against backups. But when a guy has a good performance, hey, Buddy Howell went off, awesome. Like, okay, none of those guys that he went against are playing <laughs> football ever again. But he looked so good. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of like I know whenever you watch college video for like the draft, you try to find situations where okay, this would ha- this is a play that looks like an NFL play, or this is an NFL situation. And they try to like extrapolate it with better athletes, and you right. may see like seven plays a game that are like that when you're watching one player, and uh, and it's hard. And so I think a lot of it, this, the same thing can be said about the preseason, where you may have you know, like seven to fifteen actual NFL plays over the course of sixty of them, and it's like, what do you, what do I do with this with such a small sample? It's funny. That's ironic because. I was enjoying watching AJ McCarron out there, you know, and anybody that plays at Alabama has that same effect on offense. Okay. How do you evaluate this kid? And like, okay, what adversity did he have in the offense at, at Alabama? But I was genuinely excited about AJ McCarron because I out there at practice talking to a lot of the guys, you know, like Andre Ware and a lot of the guys that really, you know, pay close attention to college football. 
they said he's just a different guy now. And it, and it looks like it. His arm looks different. He looks like he's got more of an NFL arm. So it was disappointing when he got hurt. And I mean, it's fun to watch Joe Webb run around and it's fun to watch him like throw into quadruple coverage just because it doesn't have any consequences in the preseason. Yeah. But I really I wanted to see A.J. McCarron out there running the second team offense. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, well, and we'll talk about, I guess, him probably in a little bit whenever we get to Watson and the offensive line. So this past offseason, the Texans entering it had $78 million in cap space after they cut Demarius Thomas. And they had four top 100 draft picks. Uh, one of those draft picks was acquired because of the Dwayne Brown trade two years ago. And so this past offseason, do you think the Texans got better for the 2019 season? And uh, if not like Im- like immensely better, but just like even a little bit better? I think they got a little bit better. And that comes with the whole, like the really, really boring thing to talk about is injuries because it's just so easy and simple. But if you look at Will Fuller and Kiki QT, in a, in a theoretical world where those guys are healthy for 16 weeks, they're better. But now we'll see with Kiki QT and when he comes back. So that's better. You know, I don't know if we classify it as the offseason or not, but Duke Johnson, if we're looking right now at Duke Johnson as your backup running back compared to last year where the Texans coaches somehow thought that Deontay Foreman would be just fine less than a year after an Achilles tendon tear and Alfred Blue. I feel a lot better about Duke Johnson. And yeah, they overpaid for him, but whatever. At this point, after after not paying for anything the entire offseason, I was okay with them for overpaying and future draft capital for Duke Johnson. And those would be the big areas. I think then you got to start looking at the margins and you got to start thinking, okay, Whitney Merciless looks better in training camp so far. So he's healthier. Are they going to use him differently? The defensive backs, as much as I loved talking about the honey badger and having Tyron Matthew on a team, I think Deshaun Gibson has the potential to be a steadier player mm-hmm. and, and for one to be able to cover tight ends in critical moments, like in the Eagles game. So that's where, that's where I think you can make a case for incremental improvement with the big leap forward, it's going to have to be with some of these younger players. And and that's the huge question mark is just how much can you get out of some of these younger players? And, you know, and even Justin Reed moving into the second year, is that enough to really turn them into a solid defense? Look, Matt, you've been on it. You've, been on it. you've nailed the defense completely in terms of, look, this is a team that was awesome at stopping the run. So you go against mediocre offenses, they'd shut them down. You go against good quarterbacks and you try to play zone defense, you're SOL. So that's the big question mark in my mind. And and that's why it's nice that you play the New Orleans Saints game one. Yeah. And like, I, I, well, uh, I think they play four of the top five passing offenses from last year, six of the top 10 passing offenses from last year. And you're looking at this team too. Last season, they had three big holes. It was their offensive line, their secondary, and the pass rush. Um, and I think a lot of the growth, growth like you mentioned, has to come from younger players and these draft picks that they had. Uh, which one of these groups do you think got better uh, this past offseason? I, I think the offensive line got better for at least 2020. And that's where I'm trying to figure out, okay, how much can we bump it up to 2019? Because one thing that really jumps out when I was out at practice, and I was actually talking to, to Pat Starr about this, and it's the... It's the jump in athleticism among the starting five from this year compared to last year. And if you look at it, I mean, it makes sense because in large part, the backups this year were the starters last year. And so, you know, does that mean they're going to be better immediately? Not necessarily because last year, a lot of the issues were more technical and communication, I think, more than actually athleticism issues. So... I think that if you look across the board, though, and I was watching out there today, just kind of taking in Chantrell Henderson 
and 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 taking in Roderick Johnson at left tackle even I think they look they look like a more potentially powerful and explosive unit so that's where I've got my fingers crossed that they're actually going to be better Matt Khalil man and by the way oh, Matt Matt Khalil can't be he can't be the quarter uh, he can't be the left tackle for this football team <laughs> I just I, I don't I, I gotta think that Bill O'Brien is just bluffing at this point because I. I haven't been out there a single day and seen something where I thought like, oh yeah, okay, Matt Khalil looks kind of like when he had good snaps earlier on in his career. I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. Yeah, I think the Matt Khalil thing is just purely a money laundering scheme where O'Brien's <laughs> going to give him the week one so Khalil can get that $7.5 million. And then I think like three of that's going to go to Bill O'Brien. It's like so they're funneling it through the, the Bahamas or something. Yeah, like, That makes sense. That, that actually makes more sense than what he said today. Which was that this uh, this week long hiatus Matt Khalil has had was all planned and they knew all they, they knew all along they were going to do this. Sure, <laughs> it's it's like some scheme in Breaking Bad, uh, where they you know whether it's through I can't man, I can't remember whether it's just like simpi- shipping chemicals across the country or you know, driving ice cream trucks across the border. Uh, that's I think that's always funneling his money. But no, it makes sense because like T.J. Yates now is the assistant offensive line coach, and he looks—he's really, really lean and skinny. So he's like your Jesse Pinkman. There you go. Yeah. So and Bill O'Brien, 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 Bill O'Brien can be Walter, Walter White. White. Yeah. Yeah. That's giving that's giving uh, O'Brien a lot of credit, actually. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. I do think if Cleo starts left tackle, it's going to be the Tom Savage starts where he gives up three sacks to Cameron Jordan, he gets benched immediately, and then you see Robert Johnson. They're down like twenty-one-zero or whatever. Because they had, he had three sacks, you know, in the first half. He's he's revolutionized the first regular season game by turning it into the third preseason game. Like where other coaches make decisions, like the old school way was to make decisions based on your third preseason game. He's using the first regular season, the first half of the first regular season game, to make those personnel decisions. Yeah, it's the new money ball right there. Yeah, that's <laughs> so the new market efficiency. So the Texans last year they allowed sixty-two sacks. They were last in both the justice sack rate and pressure rate at 11.6%, 30.5%. Watson was knocked down 138 times, which is the most in the league. Um, he was you know, right above Russell Wilson. And it's like the most hits that you'll see since like Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck were just you know, obliterated earlier this decade. And this offseason, they added Matt Cleal, you know, like we just mentioned, and rookies Tyus Howard and Max Sharping. Uh, so who do you think the Texans' week one starting five is going to be? And what would, your be, what would your ideal Texans offensive line be? All right, who do I think is going to be week one? I'm going to say that I think Roderick Johnson starts at left tackle week one. And I, I'm actually going to okay that just to see how it goes. This is a kid that is way, way, way better than he was last year. And I've talked to a few people, the Texans, that said he just genuinely really, like, no cliche. He was there at the facility every day this offseason, like more than any other Texan. And like really worked his butt off, and he was a good player at Florida State. He just he came out of college too early. He went to the Browns, and he wasn't good last year. Now all of a sudden, he does a really good job of, you know, you always talk to defensive linemen about how like you don't want to be down the middle of a guy. You want to work edges. Mm-hmm. He does a really good job of keeping defensive linemen down his middle. Like he doesn't he doesn't try to make up for his athletic lackings by like kick sliding way too fast back and bailing out um he doesn't jump guys he's just really strong and steady so i think he can be he can be an average left tackle which at this point you know ever since the departure of dwayne brown that would feel like we were it's raining gold coins on us if we had a left tackle that was that was average so i'll say him at left guard or excuse me left tackle titus howard at this point i would i would rather see zach fulton 
play left guard, then I'd like to see Titus Howard. But he's a first-round draft pick, and he's got potential. Like, he's shown flashes, so we know how that goes. So I'm guessing it's going to be Titus Howard. Then we're going to see Nick Martin at center because I think Bill O'Brien – Bill O'Brien really wants Nick Martin and Deshaun Watson to be like a Jeff Saturday and Peyton Manning. And I don't know if that's wishful thinking. I'm going to give Nick Martin one more year to see how he does with maybe better guards next to him. Mm-hmm. But in Zach Fulton, by the way, the reason I brought him up, he looks he looks more now like he did on his Kansas City film. And I think it's just oh, because cool. he's healthy. Yeah, like he's he looks really he's like the actual he's the actual versatile player that they've been looking for. Yeah, he's played right guard, center and left guard in training camp so far. And I actually feel pretty good about it. So uh, it'll be Nick Martin. Max Sharping, Max Sharping, I was very skeptical about during OTAs because I did not see him as being athletically capable of being an offensive tackle. And I I still don't think he probably is. But you can remember just in college, the way he'd kind of turn and run with guys instead of actually, you know, instead of actually using good technique. I think that was because of his athletic limitations. But then in OTAs, you can't really tell how is he going to use his size and bulk. Since they've moved him down to guard and where he's got a lot of time at right guard, he uses his size pretty well. And he, he latches onto guys with really big, strong, long arms and, and, and keeps his back flat. So, I mean, he's a rookie, too. There are going to be hiccups. I'm not saying he's going to be Quentin Nelson or anything, but I actually feel pretty like I feel I feel better about him right right this moment than I do about Titus Howard. I think Titus has more upside because of his athleticism, but I feel better about Max Sharping stepping out into an NFL field right now. Interesting. And then and then at right tackle, uh, obviously, Chantrell Henderson. And I, I remember I exchanged tweets with you a few weeks ago where I was kind of down on on Chantrell. Oh, no, no, no. I was down on Julian Davenport. Okay. Chantrell Henderson, I'm okay with. And he's lost a bunch of weight. Typically, you know, okay, who the hell cares? If he stays healthy, I think he's going to be okay. He's moving around really well. He doesn't anchor as well as I'd like to, but he's also going against J.J. Watt a lot. So I've seen more like <laughs> snaps against J.J. Watt, but I actually feel okay with him if he stays healthy. So that's where I've, I've talked myself into this being a passable offensive line. Okay. Yeah, I feel better now listening to you, especially you being out there at practice every single day. Uh, I was really pessimistic, you know, whenever I wrote about wrote the preview, uh, mainly because of tackle position. Like I like Johnson against Detroit. I like like the first preseason game. We were talking about like good things. I was like, uh, you know, I like Robert Johnson. Like he had a nice, you know, second half or whatever. But it's preseason. And yep. then with Henderson, I mean, he's been hurt since 14. Like even like whenever you watch his his video in Buffalo. The problem with him wasn't his size or his movement. It was just his, he's just, just weak. Like he has a weak upper body and he doesn't yep. extinguish pass rushes at all. And then he's, he's susceptible to bull rushes too. And so that's my concern with him. Uh, and I think like Kendall Lamb was an all time awful run blocker, but he was competent enough at pass protection. And so like if it's, if it's Johnson, Johnson's mediocre, I think the pass protection will be better than it was last year. Um, if he is, and they actually try to play Khalil, you know, I think there's there's definitely a possibility like the tackle pass blocking could be worse than it was last season. Yeah, Khalil's just kind of been getting moved around at will, you know, and and you can see flashes of, you can see that there's like an innate athleticism there, but it's muted by all his injuries and surgeries, mm-hmm. and you just don't get the sense that like okay, this guy is ever going to be able to reclaim what he once had athletically, you know, and it's been a long time since he's been a really good and solid and like I'd say steady. I think there was a lot of hype initially that was overblown, but at the very least, you know, there was, uh, there was a much more steady, solid football player. 
and I've been there before. Like once you once you have a certain number of surgeries, it almost you could have each one fully recovered, but your body just doesn't work the same way, and you just don't have the same pop. Yeah. You know, you don't have the same zip in your step, and maybe maybe it's just a matter of time for him, and it'll take some time. But he's over. He's thirty now, and I I I'm pessimistic that the Texans are going to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And even the last time we played in seventeen, Carolina. Just like charting numbers, it was like Davenport's year last year, and that's factoring Davenport, you know, giving up six sacks at right tackle and that horror, that you know, that that horror movie that him and Rankin were whenever they played those three weeks together on the edges. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and then part of it, of course, is always you know Deshaun Watson. Uh, it's a boy. I, I have such a miserable time trying to figure out quarterbacks holding on to the ball too long and like what the perfect amount of it is mm-hmm. and. That you know, he made such progress with not taking chances with the ball last year, and and I think part of that might have been just that he was either he wasn't taking maybe he needs to take a few more chances with the ball, and sometimes earlier in the down. I'm not overly worried about it. It's it's interesting at training camp. You can almost sense some days where he's working on Same being things. on time and on rhythm, and then other days where he's just taking chances. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I know. Last year he it took him 3.02 seconds to throw the ball. And that was the fourth highest, or tied third with Russell Wilson. Uh, one and two were Josh Allen, who has no front low, but he's like, you know, beautiful and perfect and youthful. And then Lamar Jackson was number two. And so I do think oh. with the skill players Houston has around him, um, getting the ball out quickly, just like even having a guy like Duke Johnson that can jump the, drop the ball from the flat. And he, he averaged eight yards after the catch, 9.2 yards of reception. He had, I think, 24 first downs. Uh, Alfred Blue had four first downs on 20 catches last year. And so just like Johnson's <laughs> ability to break one tackle, get a first down, I think it's going to be, or like even get like seven yards on first down and that sort of thing, I think will make a big impact too for him, this offensive line. Uh, I have one more offensive line question for you with Tyus Howard. Uh, one of the things that I've seen, I really like his size. Like I, I like how wide he is, I like how quick he is. But the problem I've seen with him in preseason is his hands aren't very good. And yeah. so I'm wondering if you've seen the same thing. And also the offensive linemen I've watched, like you know, from college to the pros, uh, whenever they have bad hands, they don't usually get better. I saw it happen to Xavier Sufio, and I saw I'm seeing it happen to Colton Miller in Oakland too. And do you do you feel the same thing about hand usage? And how do you think uh, Howard's hands have looked so far this year? You know, I saw you had written that a while back, and I'd never really thought it before because it, it's kind of like with quarterbacks, right? Like it's rare for a quarterback to increase his accuracy, or a quarterback with poor accuracy very rarely gets good accuracy. The the first guy I thought of. And, you know, this would be completely my memory. I might have to go back with him and then watch some of his old film to check this was Chester Pitts mm-hmm. because Chester Pitts, when he was rookie now and Chester, Chester would be an interesting one because remember Chester never played football until college. So just like Titus Howard, who never played offensive line till college, he was really raw in a lot of respects. So I can remember Chester, his first couple of years, I kept telling him, like, Chester, Chester, you got to be better with your hands. you got to use your hands. Like, if you're, you're good with your feet, you're athletic, you got to get better with your hands. And Chester would be like, ah, it's just not my thing, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> he was, Chester was so funny because <laughs> he had never even played team sports before. So there were so many parts of him where, like, even just fitting in on a team, it's like he didn't know like the norms and everything. And it was it was really funny. It's been it's been really cool to watch his career, like or it was cool to watch his career. And he became a guy. He became a guy 
you know, I'm trying to think of how he was later in his career because it's not like I was watching a bunch of film on him or anything. But I'm imagining that uh, he definitely got better with his hands in the time that I was with him in Houston. And, you know, as long as he played and as good as he was, I think his hands, you know, definitely weren't a liability at some point. Chester was just Chester had such a low center of gravity and his legs were so thick that it, it, it went a long way. So my optimistic view would be that just like a Chester Pitts who was very, very raw, that because they're raw, that the hands will come. It's just that you got to really it's an it's an indoctrination those first few weeks in the NFL, especially for offensive linemen when they realize like, oh, my gosh. Like, I, I feel like I'm playing with no hands at all because these guys are so mm-hmm. good at getting my hands away from me. So that would be that would be my little dose of optimism for you there. Yeah. Yeah. I feel a lot better now. Uh, I, I do. Th- one of the things I would like to see, I think just from like a running perspective, too, is I like to see Fulton start at center and then probably do Sharpay at right guard and Howard at left guard. Uh, just because, you know, I, I know Nick Martin's good at pass protection, but it doesn't mean as much as the center position. And also the Texans, you know, Bill Brown loves to run the ball in first down. And they're one of the worst rushing teams in first down last year. Uh, and I, I think Fulton playing at center would, you know, make a big impact uh, in the running game, especially. And just like set up like, you know, second and six uh, second downs instead of those second and eight, second and nines that we saw so much of last year, too. Yeah, I think, I mean, he, he brings a certain wallop, especially when he's healthy, that I don't think Zach Martin does. And I, and I've been really pleased watching him play center. And, you know, yeah, he's never going to be confused with Dermani Dawson or anybody. But like you said, when you have – if you've got help next to you, it doesn't matter as much, And at least in the past game. So I would like to see that. I just – I know O'Brien, you know, and he gets – we were trying to talk the other day about like, okay, he definitely puts some guys in his doghouse, like Deontay Foreman and other guys. But like, what's the opposite of that? It's a poodle palace. Like he sends, he puts some guys like in, like he sends them off to like the exclusive dog grooming place, like the exact opposite of being in the doghouse. And like Nick Martin is one of his guys. He just loves Nick Martin for whatever reason. Huh. So I just don't see it happening. I don't. I don't think it's a true meritocracy all the time. And it's not that. It's not like O'Brien probably sees it. I think it just might be one of his blind spots. Okay. Well, what about uh, what about Rankin? I know he hasn't played very much, and I know like I like I'll, I'll always like Davenport just because watching it bugged. I'm like, okay, there's something here. And then his yeah. rookie year was good, and then last year I really felt bad for him with that switch to right tackle, and then he kind of felt it found his stride later on the year. But like, I mean, he still wasn't good, you know. And I and he's a he's a good run blocker, but the pass blocking issues were there. And I was really excited to see Rankin you know, get a chance to start guard potentially because uh, it seemed like they didn't want him to play right tackle at all. And I think the way he performed at left tackle, they were like, yeah, he's not a tackle whatsoever, even though I still think he could play right if they really want him to. But uh, have you, how, how have those two guys played in camp? Because I know like, just watching preseason football, they're kind of non-existent right now. I guess non-existent is probably the right word. And I think Davenport over the last couple of weeks has started to look more comfortable. I was watching him yesterday in one-on-one pass rush, and he went. He took a couple of reps at left tackle, and then he went immediately to right tackle. And I think last year that would have looked really, really bad and awkward. Mm-hmm. I think he's maybe starting to make that adaptation. And, you know, I think he looks better at left tackle than at right tackle. He still, he still lacks strength. You know, like there's still kind of almost like a baby Colt fact uh, feel to him where he's all limbs and he's, he looks more athletic and smoother in a good way, like moving smoother. But I just I don't see the strength there yet. So I'd I'd like to I hope he gets a chance to play against some 
better quality competition maybe with the Cowboys. But I think he makes the team. Rankin's a tricky one. It almost looks like he's not moving as well as he did last year. And and he's one I wonder. It's like some of these guys, when they throw him into this versatility cauldron yeah. and, and try to figure out what the hell's, you know, which of these guys can play four different positions as a rookie, <laughs> I feel like it breaks some of them. And with Martinez Rankin, I'm almost worried that in trying to play all these different positions, he's never been able to groove any movements. And he just looks like he's kind of stuck somewhere. Oh, like okay. he's, you know, like, yeah, he's, like he's just, something. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen with him. It's as many questions as there are about the offensive line. It's actually a tough unit to make. Like there's, there's viable, there's guys on this team that you don't feel good about as a starter, but who will definitely get picked up if they're released. Yeah. And you know, Calamete or Zach Fulton, for sure. I think Greg Mance would get picked up and it starts to be kind of a log jam at those interior positions where I don't know if it really comes down to, okay, does Bill O'Brien think Martinez Rankin has a long-term future? Cause you might not see it this year. And you look at him and he's six, five, three, ten, or whatever, whatever he is. And, and he moves relatively well. I, I don't know if he makes this team, and I think he gets picked up if he doesn't. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like as much as I like those two guys, I just want to see them play. Like I'm excited for like maybe 2022 and Davenport's the starlet tackle in Cincinnati or something, <laughs> yeah. or like Rankin starting in Kansas City because I do think those two guys have talent, and even if it doesn't work out in Houston, they could work out somewhere else for them. Um, and it's also funny you mentioned the versatility thing because the first thing they said about Howard and Sharpie is like, oh, we love their versatility. They can play anywhere. So they don't yeah. need to play anywhere. Just like figure out what you're going <laughs> to do with them this year. Let them learn and then maybe see what you can do with them like a year after or so and you have a plan for them in place. So I don't know. It all seems so absurd to me from my you know, Taco Bell window. No, it is. No, you're you're right. The, the good thing about staring at a Taco Bell all day is that you've got your your brain isn't distracted by anything. They've done studies that show you're actually more creative and productive when you're not in a pretty setting. It's like when you're in a bland setting because you're just you're, your mind can your mind can really function I like properly. It. I like yeah. It. Uh, so, so, yeah, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add about the offensive line. Uh, no, I don't think so. Other than, you know, like Steinmetz got injured the other day. I don't mean to laugh about him getting injured. Um, I don't, I don't, I saw somebody comment that like, uh, it, it was a blow. The Texans offensive line couldn't take and Ste- Steinmetz was not making this team. So he might, he might've been a good practice squad guy or something. So he just broke his ankle and, uh, you know, it'll be a good experience for him to probably, it'll get healed. He'll be able to do his rehab and he'll be around and go to meetings and everything. But, uh, I wouldn't lose any sleep over time. Steinmetz being injured. Yeah, I saw the Texans Pro Football Focus account was like, yeah, Steinmetz has been the second highest grade offensive player for the Texans this preseason. And uh, I just, you know, turned the Really? Phone. Yeah, I just like turned, <sighs> turned the phone off, put it away. It's like, I'm going to pay more attention at work now. You know what? And I know I know you're a huge fan of uh, Pro Football Focus. I, I do like I do like a lot of the stuff they do. Like they give you some good data. But when it comes to grading offensive linemen, the biggest peeve I have with them is that they don't account for how much help a guy gets. So a guy that might get help from mm-hmm. a tight end and a running back and slide protection and everything, he might grade out, you know, with only like a couple negative plays in a game. But then they 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 put that grade up next to some guy that's out on an island, you know, one on one with Khalil Mack all game because he's that good. And then that guy grades out less, and you got to deal with people acting like that. That Donald Penn's better than, um, you know, Trent Williams or something. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. They don't adjust for opponent, and you have no idea what constitutes a great block or not. It, you know, I, it's 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 turning the subjective into the objective. 
and then lying about and saying it's subjective. And really what it does is it allows people to just have opinions on guys without watching them. Whenever you just say, like, yeah, I don't know if he's good or not. Or let me turn on the computer and find out if he's good or not. The great thing about the great thing about analytics and analytics in baseball, and I'm actually I'm completely and totally pro analytics. I love it, but I do notice that in baseball, you can almost talk yourself into saying that any player is actually playing well. You know, like yeah, well, yeah. actually, look, look, actually, with his muzzle velocity and everything, it's or his exit velocity, it's a, it's actually he's, he's having a hell of a season with his 198 batting average, and he has an xFIP plus of you know so and so. Yeah. yeah, that's I like not knowing anything about baseball and just like sitting outside and eating a hot dog. That's the yeah, thing about baseball. True. It is that there is a there's ignorance is bliss with that sometimes. Yeah. So defensively, we'll talk about the defensive line and the pressure now. So Watt and Clowney were so good last year, and like Clowney was the first overall pick in the 2014 draft, and we waited you know three entire seasons for Watt and Clowney finally play together. It happened, and you know, it was insane how good they were. Uh, they count for 108 tackles, 34 tackles for loss, 25 sacks, 46 quarterback hits, and 80 pressures. Uh, they were responsible for almost half their tackles for loss and pressures, and more than half of their sacks and quarterback hits. Um, so, like, as a, just as a fan, like, how much fun did you have last year watching these two guys play together? It was it was a lot of fun, uh, and you know, I don't I don't know if I don't know if anybody would have ever had the guts to predict that JJ would have a 16 a sack season ever again, you know? Yeah. And, and and he's been honest about that. Like he himself wouldn't have predicted it. So like that was that was really cool. And then Clowney and his ability to just completely wreck an entire side of an offense sometimes, which you know uh, he's never going to get full credit for that. Like he's almost like an athletic version of a nose tackle. Like a like Ted Washington was never going to get full credit for being able to destroy the middle of an offensive line in on plays where he didn't get the tackle, but but he did it. Mm-hmm. And I think Clowney, there's times where he absolutely destroys the entire left side of an offensive line, but he might not make the play. Um, but and he doesn't. People don't really appreciate it. Like that part of it, that hand grenade aspect of it was really cool to watch. So I'm I'm starting to have minor panic panic attacks about what the hell's <laughs> going on with everything right now. Like I kind of have gone to I've gone into a state of denial almost where I haven't even thought about Clowney and whether he's actually going to show up or not next week. Uh, and and I guess if I have to consciously think about it, I think he's going to be here next week. I I don't see how they trade him. I don't see how any situation with him could be so bad that they can't just have him play out the franchise tag, but I, I don't know. I I expect I want to expect them back next week. Yeah. So like the Clowney, I think the, the I think the fact I think extending Clowney to long term extension is a no brainer. Uh, he's one of like he's like a top. I don't know, he's one. I think he's the best edge rusher, edge defender in football. Uh, he's only twenty six years old. He's in the prime of his career, and he's also already a really good pass rusher. But it's not really taken account for because he only had nine sacks last year. If he had thirteen sacks, it'd be like oh he's a top ten pass rusher. And that difference in sacks, I think, really uh, changes how people view his ability. And so I think it's a no-brainer to extend Clowney. Uh, so like, why, haven't, why do you think the Texans haven't done it? And do you think they should have extended him by now as well, too? I think there's a couple. I think there's a, a few things going on. I can think of two off the top of my head, and there's probably a third. So I'd say first is like the very elemental is this a Bill O'Brien guy? Uh-huh. Like, is he, does he check off all the boxes in terms of work ethic and everything? And that's a dicey subject because, all right, I think he plays his ass off on Sundays. Do I think that he works like JJ Watt or Whitney Merciless or those guys? I don't No, I don't, you know? And, and that's where, 
I think O'Brien, you know, when you go as far as hiring a culture coach and then call him your director of team development, Greg Easterby, I think it's something O'Brien really cares about in paying paying one of the top guys who's not one of the best examples for younger guys to play to to kind of live up to. My, you know, in my my first response to that is kind of like if I were the GM, if Bill O'Brien had a GM, I think my response to that would be like, listen, man, you want anything? You want everything perfect in this world? Like you, you did. Was Lawrence Taylor the perfect worker? You know, did Lawrence <laughs> Taylor never fall asleep in meetings? Now, that's an extreme example. But like with NBA coaches, you're not going to always get the perfect pupil. You're going to get really, really good athletes and really good players. And some of them are going to be awesome pupils, but some of them are going to be kind of idiosyncratic and you got to learn how to deal with them. That would be my advice to Bill O'Brien, the head coach. So there's that. I think the other side of it, though, too, would be how do you structure a team? How do you pay your players? And in New England, where they don't like paying edge rushers at all, you know, and where where J.J. Watt has now become largely an edge rusher, you mm-hmm. know, playing left end most of the time, do you pay two guys like that? And I think that's probably it's the, it's that combination of, OK, are we going to really pay two guys in our front seven this much money and frontline players this much money, especially if one of them is a guy that I don't really love? My, which I can, I can see Bill O'Brien's argument there. What I can't see is stringing this thing along right to where it is right now to the point where you might be poisoning the well. Because if you're dangling Clowney out there in trade offers almost to the point where Clowney then becomes disgruntled, then I've got an issue because – Trading Clowney for a third rounder right now or, or a second rounder, even really a first rounder, if you don't flip that first rounder into something, it feels a little bit like a tanking mentality because you're making your team worse. Mm-hmm. You know, and O'Brien hasn't done that yet, but it seems like he's contemplating it, you know? So that's where I have an issue with that. Like, okay, fine. You fired Brian Gain because he couldn't get anything done with Clowney or anything else. That's great. But that ship has sailed. Like, you're in the here and now. After July 15th, the likelihood of getting a really, really good deal for Javion Clowney almost completely evaporated. You got to deal with what you got. Yeah. Now, my one asterisk with that is that if you get Trent Williams, then I'm all for it. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try Clowney at all. Uh, I think with Watt only having, I think he has two years left on his deal. I think Clowney's like a next cornerstone you can build around. And I think just having like two guys who are really good at their job, uh, you don't have to pay for like linebackers. You don't have to pay for other defensive linemen. Your secondary is less important. And also just, you know, the way that they can use them play off each other. They've even had like an interior rusher this year. And they also have so much cap space too. And it's like, I don't know what else you're going to get with that cap dollar. And I don't think you're going to be able to get like anything as good as clowning with that money. Right. And then if you trade for draft picks, you also have to, one, you don't even have a GM to scout players this year. So what are you going to do with your first round pick next year? And then also it's completely unknown as well too. And you also have no idea where that pick's going to end up as well. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is, and you've done a good job of pointing this out, is that everybody's talking about oh, the defensive backs. Everybody's talking about the offensive line. The lack of an interior pass rusher is kind of a big deal, you know? Yeah, I think it's because, enormous. Yeah, and, and, you know, you can stand Clowney up as a linebacker and everything, but I, I feel like at least some of that shock value is worn off and teams are adjusting to it. Unless you're going to move J.J. down inside all of a sudden, they have a really hard time, you know, when their edge rushers flush the quarterback from the pocket, they just flat out don't have the guys that can chase them down and or or guys that can offer enough push up the middle. So 
a Manahue might become one of those guys. I, I shudder every time somebody somebody has asked Bill O'Brien twice whether a Manahue could play outside linebacker. You know, once one person asked Romeo and one person asked O'Brien, and they both said yes. But I think it was just kind of one of those like, all right, what do I have Next to say question. to stop this question? Yeah, yeah. If I see Omenahue at outside linebacker, I'm going to flip the hell out because well, <laughs> he like, he's like 295, you know? Yeah, that's like that's the Sam Montgomery plus there. Like when <laughs> when you thought Sam Montgomery was going to be an outside linebacker, so he might he might develop into something. You know, I he he gets off the ball pretty well at times. He when he uses his hands, he uses them really well. It's just a matter of tying it all together. And I don't know if he shows up this year or not. I think the other hope for that would be that DJ Reader looks a little bit sleeker. Okay. When I've been watching him in practice, he's been banged up a little bit, so he hasn't practiced a ton. But he's been doing a really good job with his hands, you know. And I look, he's never going to be Aaron Donald or anybody, but he might turn into a little bit more of an inside push. Yeah. So like, because they they did bring back Blackson for four years, twelve million. Um, they brought Dunn back. They brought Heath back. Reader, I think, has one more year on his contract. Charles Watkins is here too. Uh, I know they drafted a main a main who as well. So like, which one of these defense you see in these defensive linemen making a jump this year? I guess you even you can even include you know Brent Scarlett in that as well because I think the Texans do need an additional source of pass rush, uh, especially on the interior like you just mentioned. Yeah, I think that you know for one, I, we talked about Whitney Merciless a little bit earlier, and if they can get him rushing the passer more and get into a rhythm, and and maybe by moving. You know, almost whether it's Clowney inside or JJ inside at times, I think that might you might see a little bit more of Whitney from a couple of years ago. I think that Blackson is Blackson, Heath is Heath, Dunn is Dunn, and I love those okay. guys. Like those are old school three. I, they're old school three four defensive linemen. They just keep stockpiling these guys yeah, yeah. that were perfect for like a nineteen or like a two thousand five defense even. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlos, you know, Carlos has been banged up again. And I think he's just he's another classic three, four defensive lineman that's stuck behind all these other classic three, four defensive linemen. So it's going to have to be DJ kind of upping his game as a pass rusher. And I think that's possible. You know, he's actually got really good hands for a big guy. And, and you know, he's kind of deceptively athletic. And beyond that, I, I'm kind of at a loss. I don't know if I see it coming. You know, the Huggins kid from Clemson had a few good pass rushes in the game. But one thing I noticed was. They were all bull rushes, mm-hmm. and, and it was the perfect example of this happens with a lot of rookies sometimes. They'll come in, and they'll be bull rushing the hell out of somebody in a preseason game. And then his last snap after like four straight bull rushes at the end of the play, I saw, I saw this un, undrafted rookie free agent Huggins tapping his helmet to come out of the game. <laughs> like, well, yeah, that's what happens when you bull rush a 310-pound guy four times in a row. <laughs> you get kind of tired. So I'm, I, but I am I'm impressed with his physicality. So we'll see what that kid does. But I think he's, he's another one that looks like a classic 3-4 defensive lineman. Yeah. Uh, and I want to talk about Merciless, too, because, I mean, really, you know, the fact that they didn't add another pass rusher – and they could like trade for Michael Bennett. They could add Malik Jackson. They could add Dominic Sue. They could have added Gerald McCoy. They could add Sheldon Richardson. They still have forty million dollars in cap space right now too. But they could add one of these guys easily without a problem. They did it. Mike Daniels. Mike yeah. Dan- yeah, and I know he's here, but Mike Daniels is awesome as well. Um, there are guys out there available, and they didn't take advantage of that. So I think like the pass rush, that third rush has to come from Merciless. And I think the best way to go about that is to either move Water Clowney to a four eye put him at the five and then let him rush more in a close combat. Cause he's not a speed rusher. He's not bend, you know, rips. Yeah. Guy. He's not Von Miller. And so I know there's been a lot of things that he looks healthier and better, better this year. Uh, do you think Merciless is going to bounce back? Maybe have like an eight sack or nine sack season. 
I think he, I think he can. Um, and I think part of that is that they've, I don't know if they've promised him that he's going to get more opportunities to rush on the line, but I think they're, they're working towards that. And, you know, he's a guy, he's in the last year of his contract and I know they love him and I know that, you know, he'd love to stay in Houston, but you know, he's, he's got to do what's right for him. And in terms of not just money, but his actual career, you know, he Mm -hmm. probably feels like he could go and be a double digit sack guy somewhere, go play in a four, three and, and play, play end or something. So I, I think that, they're going to try to make it worth his while to stick around. Cause again, on that Bill O'Brien, you know, are you my kind of guy scale? Whitney's way up there, you know, way higher than, than Jadevian, I guess. So I, I think there, I think the other thing is what do they do on the back end? Cause they go out and they get Bradley Roby who like on a good day can cover man really well. Mm-hmm. The problem is he has some bad days too. If they can play more man, then they can get those guys more one-on-ones. You know, and JJ can go down and play inside. And if you're rushing five, you can get him one on one with a guard instead of having to fight a double team and, and potentially tweak his back or something. So I think they'd like to play more man. I, I mean, I think they specifically want to be able to play more man than they did last year. It's it's a matter of okay, how much is how's Bradley Roby? Um, you know, what can you get away with with Jonathan? And then. Lonnie Johnson, of course, and Aaron Colvin are the big question marks there. Yeah, and what about the slot corner? Because I know that Brian, Bot- Brian Body Calhoun, they drafted Xavier Crawford. Uh, Aaron Colvin, you know, was paid a bunch of money to start the slot last year. The Texans reigned 28th in DVOA against slot receivers. How's that position shaping up right now? It's, you know, it's so hard to judge with slot corners, especially in the preseason, because everything's so vanilla. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say... And honestly, it's probably one of, because of all that, that's probably one of the positions I've really paid the least attention to, other than that I see a lot of guys getting jockeyed around and slotted around pretty loosely and liberally. So I'm going to, is so far, Colvin has looked healthier. Like, I, I think he's looked more athletic than we saw him during the season last year. I'd say even maybe before his, his big injury. So I'm just crossing my fingers on that one. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of, out of Xavier Crawford, which, like, I'm not freaking out about a sixth-round draft pick. You know, maybe it, maybe it works out for him, maybe it doesn't. I have... <sighs> I've seen John. I've seen Johnson Batamosi working with the ones and twos a distressingly okay. large amount of time, and I don't know if that's just because sometimes you know guys are getting getting veteran rest days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it, it you should worry about that position. You should worry about that position until we see reason not to. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think part of the reason why the pass was so important too is that they were fifth in DVOA with pressure and 18th without it. And like Roby in Denver, you know, he's good to have when he's your third best corner with, you know, uh, on a great pass defense, but you don't want him to be your number one cornerback. You just look at the games against Kansas City and Pittsburgh last year as good examples of that. And like, I love Jonathan Joseph. I thought, I had concerns about him three years ago, you just as far as getting beat by deep passes, but he's yeah. just so much smarter. He knows how to play the position better than anybody. And uh, he's been, it's been really fun to watch him, like, keep his career going. And it's like, regarding Joseph, you know where he hides his unicorn blood? Like, you know the secrets to his longevity and how he's going to be able to live forever? <laughs> He's, uh, I think part of it is just he takes care of his body, you know, but he really, he's one of these football nerds that really, really just loves the game. Mm-hmm. And like, he's constantly talking to receivers and other defensive backs, like opposing wide receivers about things. And, and I think that's probably it more than anything. You know, when you, you hear the basketball players, like the really good ones that play into their thirties, they talk about how maintaining curiosity might be the most important mm-hmm. thing. 
Like it's it's kind of shocking. And I think this comes back from way back with Larry Bird used to talk about this and, and it kind of gets passed down from generation to generation. Basketball players talk a lot about how important it is to stay curious and and to constantly still be learning about the game and yourself and everything. And I think jo- Joseph kind of has that mentality. So so for all the kids out there, that's your lesson too. <laughs> stay curious in life. It's amazing how many really successful people, like guys, like successful people in their 50s and 60s when you meet them are just like intensely curious about like you, other things, your job, all that stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And I would love to see Joseph, like whenever he retires, do that TJ Yates, the Andre Johnson thing where he comes in and coaches and stays in Houston as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because for Bill O'Brien, he's O'Brien's an interesting guy because I think there's parts of him, you know, with his temper and his attitude sometimes where there's probably moments where he's like a real pain in the ass to be around. But the side of him that's definitely like not trying to be like Belichick at all is that he genuinely enjoys being around the players like and he really loves those guys. And that's why the Texans might have more former players on their coaching staff than any other team in the league. I mean, you can't you, you, you can't go to a position group without seeing Cushing. Um, you've got TJ Yates with the offensive lineman. You've got Akeem Dent. You've got at least two others that I'm that I'm blanking on. Well, and then even like you know Mike Devlin isn't a former Texan, but he's a former player. Anthony Weaver uh, is a former player. Yeah, Anthony. That's right, Anthony Weaver, former Texan. And uh, so it's it's in, uh, O'Brien's an interesting guy. He's a he's a complex human being. I just hope that I hope that somehow this year something switches in him or flips in him. That becomes kind of like how Coughlin, Coughlin needed a second chance to really get it right. And he was softened the second time. You know, Dick Vermeil needed a second chance to get it right. All these various coaches that figure it out in their second go round. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope, how do you, how do you figure out how to be the team that like, okay, gets Gary Kubiak, get, get both versions of Gary Kubiak the first time around. That's what I'd like to see with Bill O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the last secondary question I have is Lonnie Walker. The, he was the guy the Texans drafted in the second round of the draft, and he was the the big investment that they made that position. I know, like at Kentucky, like he's strong, he's big, but he didn't know how to use his size. Uh, yep. He really wasn't even that good in the run at Kentucky too. And then also, like just playing man coverage and staying with guys, he he struggled doing that. Uh, he just looks more like a, a specimen, you know. Like somebody like in a cryo chamber, not necessarily as a quarterback. A cornerback. How's he been this uh, this this training camp? Yeah, he's like one of those big Westwood robots from season yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. If you watch Westwood, yeah, um, those big one, the ones without faces or whatever. He's just this monster. I think that where I've been impressed with him, and I think where there's potential for him, is in the red zone because he's he's got this like he's like a bulky Richard Sherman. You know, he's really tall and long, but he's mm-hmm. he's got a he's a little bit more muscled up. And he's made some really nice plays in the end zone where he uses his length. And he kind of, he has a knack. It looks like he understands how to use the sideline. You know, and when in college, he's, he played that technique that all these college kids do now where they just turn and bail and run yeah. instead of actually backpedaling. So That's why I hate I, watching offensive linemen in college. They just like turn oh, and yeah. run. Yeah, it's yeah, fun. yeah. They're just like, you're kind of like, all right, we'll just try to get in front of somebody because the ball's coming out fast anyway. Yeah. That I talked to Aaron Glenn about that. He said that all these college defensive backs, like you've got to teach them how to backpedal. They're just nobody's backpedaling anymore. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a challenge. Um, but I think that that part of it, I think there's potential. Athletically, like in the middle of the field and when he's got to be in space, that's where it's tricky. And I don't know. 
how much you can rely on him in early, early. And I think they're, I think you're going to see him used situationally and maybe when they can find the right matchups for him. But he's, you know, he's I, like, I hated just saying all these guys are projects and it looks like Max Sharping might of all the potential projects, Max Sharping might be the one that's least a project. But if you look at Lonnie Johnson, Titus Howard, Holly Waring, if we ever actually see him on the field, I think all those guys still have that element of, all right, they've, they've got some learning to do. Wearing partly just because he's a tight end, and tight yeah. end's hard as hell to learn as a rookie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think the hardest, so this is all kind of built up to this point. The hardest thing for the Texans this year is that their schedule is really tough this season. And like I mentioned earlier, they're playing a lot of teams that can actually throw the football. Uh, do, you think, do you think they're going to be able to score enough points to stay with the Chiefs, the Saints, the Patriots, the Chargers, the Falcons? And also, do you think Deshaun Watson can make the leap to be an MVP, you know, to be an MVP contending type of quarterback this year? I think he can. I think that the amount of options for him in the passing game is going to be are going to be a lot better. Just between the wide receivers with Duke Johnson, I think with these young tight ends, I think that we're going to see more of a wide open Deshaun Watson and. I think the biggest question is kind of how's he going to adjust to coverages? How's he going to adjust to still, you know, corner and safety blitzes? Uh, like those are the big question marks in my mind because you don't you don't really see it in the preseason, and even when you see it, you haven't game planned for it. So when he starts to see blitzes and he, you know, changes the protection or he checks out of things, that's where I'm going to start to feel really potentially encouraged. Mm-hmm. But it is it's. I'm, I'm nervous about the defense. I really am. I mean, uh, like we talked about where they've made incremental improvements, but it was, I, people need to realize they were a bad passing defense last year. It wasn't, it wasn't a matter of just tweaking a few things and now all of a sudden they're going to be a good passing defense. So versus Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers and Cam, and they, by the way, he gets all, they get all these old quarterbacks early on. That's mm-hmm. what really pisses me off. Like Drew Brees kind of trailed off towards the end of the season yeah, last yeah, year and started yeah. to look old. So you get, him, you get him week one. Like in the first half of the season, he was incredible last year. You know, Phillip Rivers, old quarterback, week three. Cam Newton, I don't know if he's ever going to be healthy again, but you get him week four. You know, Matt Ryan, week five. Uh, Pat Mahomes, it doesn't matter when you face him. It's Pat Mahomes. Andrew Luck, and then it, it works in reverse. Andrew Luck, hey, maybe give us one of those games early on. No, no, you got to wait until game <laughs> seven when it, when his ankle is finally healed. Then you get Andrew Luck. So the first half of the season, I'm not. I'm going to try real hard not to panic. You know, if they're sub 500 in the first half of the season, because I feel if they can linger around 500, then with some improvements and with some you know attrition by some of the opponents, then they could they could make a push and be be a different team in the second half of the season. I'm going to give them time to grow. I think you, you, Brian Gain was like painfully long-term focused. And I think I got to recognize that and try to remember, okay, this is Brian Gain's team still. What can Bill O'Brien do with it as he, as he hopefully doesn't butcher the GM position in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's, I think it's an important point to make too. And it's really funny about you saying that about these lower quarterbacks is I'm picking the saints not to make the playoffs this year, just because I breezed at the end of the year, but that's just oh. based off him. Like, you know, who knows what he looks like after week five, but I think in week one, he's going to be great. Um, yeah. I, I think it's a really great point, though, about these veteran quarterbacks and when they play them. Yeah, the timing of the schedule is big. And you think, just think about even the Texans last year and the, the psyche of how you absorb the team. When you start off 0-3, the, the nine games in a row, just there's no part of you that wants to accept it, especially when you're especially when you're beating lesser quarterbacks. You know, I mean, that was the big part of the 
the win streak last year was that you, you knew it was at least a little bit of an illusion, but God forbid you suggest to Bill O'Brien that some games are easier to win than others. Um, I, I think that at the very least, I'm, I'm looking forward to the fact that they have tests early on. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to the saints game. Like there's not going to be any hiding or excusing away anything. If you, if you really genuinely want to stick with Matt Khalil, then man, I hope I'm wrong. And like, I hope Bill O'Brien really knows what he's doing. Cause it could be really, really ugly for at least a, a quarter or two until you try to fix the fact that Matt Cleo's your, your starting left tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that, you know, in the 2019 football stars, that annual uh, Rivers McCann wrote that chapter. One of the things he pointed out in the book and also on Twitter recently is that the Texans are four and 22 in games where they give up more than 22 points. And there are three and 15 in one possession games where they give up more than 22 points. Uh, of those four wins, three came last year against the Jets, the Dolphins, and against the uh, Colts in overtime. The other one came against the Colts in overtime in 2016 when Jalen Strong caused sideline pass to set the game-winning field goal in overtime against Indianapolis. So do you think the Texans can win games this year in a way that they really have never won them before, where they score, you know, 31 points and win, you know, 31-24 or win 35-31? Do you think that's possible for this team this season? I think it's going to have to come... That's with Deshaun, you know, and which includes Bill O'Brien. And in a lot of that, <laughs> I don't know if you've looked at the numbers yet, but like, you know, the, the favorite, the favorite analytics, you know, stat to look at these days is how often does a coach run on second and 10 after an incomplete pass on yeah, first yeah. down? They were, uh, they were four and O run in those situations in game two. So with Tim Kelly calling the plays, every time there was an incomplete pass on first and 10, they, they ran on second. You, got, you and 10. have to set a more manageable third down, you know, it's yeah, vital you know, to an you, offense. You got to get to third and seven. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like the idea is the idea is, okay, we're going to run for five yards. It'll be third and five. But like, but realistically your best chance to get into a manageable third down is to pass. And, and, more coaches are more aggressively doing that. The Texans, the Texans ran on second and ten after an incomplete pass on first down more than any other team in the league last year. So I'm kind of watching to see. All right, are you going to open it up and be more aggressive in the first half? So far, so far with Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien calling the plays. I I, I added this up. I went through the play-by-plays the other day, and I think it was. I want to say they were seven and three run in those situations. So they're still pretty heavily run oriented. The question is, are they just setting that up as a tendency that they can bust during the season? That's where I'm, that's what I've got my fingers crossed for, that they know exactly what they're doing, and all of a sudden it's going to be more wide open when you hit the regular season. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. Yeah. I really do, because it's more fun. And I think that's kind of the thing about last year, is when, like, even though they were winning games, there was still like a hindrance on the team where you're like, yeah, like, I understand they're winning 2013, but throw the ball downfield. Like, that Washington game, they threw one pass over 15 yards. And uh, it's like just it's it just like it's an enjoyable factor and helping Watson's maturation. And it's also like whenever the playoffs happen, you have to play teams and score points, and I think they really hampered their success in the postseason uh, by how they play games in Week 11 and Week 12 when they didn't need to. And so hopefully Bill O'Brien think understands this. He's more aggressive. They throw the ball downfield. I mean Watson and Fuller last year were ridiculous on downfield passes. Uh, I also want to see a lot more play action. I want to see Watson use use more as a runner too. But uh, I do think like the potential is here for this to be a great offense. And I know last season they were 10th in DVOA whenever they were trailing big. And so it seemed like Bill O'Brien waited for them to go down to turn that switch and play the game and call the game in a completely different way. Uh, so what are some things that you think O'Brien can do to improve this offense? And like, do you think they're going to right away? Do you think they understand how, how tough the schedule is and how many points they need to score? 
I think I think they do. And the question is, okay, is is Brill O'Brien gonna just let it go and just let loose and and go for it? I, I agree with you completely one hundred percent about the play action. And I think some of that has to do with okay, how comfortable is Deshaun Watson playing under center? Because it just flat out just flat out works better under center at times. And with you know, you see with the Rams just how well they how well they set up the pass with the run and vice versa. They use the pass to set up the run too. Um, and a lot of that starts with being able to start under center so your running back can get a running start and actually and actually scare linebackers and actually scare safeties. So I'd like to see that. You know, we've seen with Joe Webb and them running old school boot and he looks really good doing it. I, I hope that means they're going to run some more old school boot with Deshaun Watson. So the play action could go a long way towards that. I think a lot of it's Will Fuller, you know, and just like, you know, Tom Brady. Boy, did you see the stats, the differences between when Tom Brady had Josh Gordon and when he didn't? No, it was pretty. Didn't. It was pretty ridiculous, like 50 extra yards per game when Josh uh, Gordon was playing. Yeah. So like with Will Fuller out there, I think DeAndre's or Deshaun's Deshaun's quarterback rating is a certain amount higher and his yards per game are higher when Will Fuller's out there. I think that's a big part of it. I think O'Brien gets a lot more comfortable when he's got Will Fuller on the field because you can actually you can space the field better. You know, it, it creates more space for Deshaun, for DeAndre and and that's a big part of it. So I'd say play action and, and a healthy Will Fuller. Okay. Uh, who do you think has better hair, uh, Hopkins or Fuller? Oh, that's a good question. I was just, I was just looking at Hopkins today. Hopkins dreads have gotten actually actually he says to call them locks because there's okay. a yeah well there's already you know what he broke it down on Arian's podcast. And I think it was that like the dreadlock, like a lot of that is kind of like the dread part comes from all oh, these African warriors and how how they create all this dread. So there's still a little bit of a, you know, some racial undertones of that. So he said to call him locks. So I'm going to call him locks at the behest of, of my favorite wide receiver in the NFL. They've gotten <laughs> thicker. So like I feel like Fuller's got a little bit more style to him. But De- DeAndre almost looks like he's growing this mane that like shows just how old and powerful he is. So yeah, I'm going to yeah. go with. DeAndre, yeah. That works for me. I, I think I like Fuller's more just because it's blonde, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I like to imagine he doesn't dye it blonde at all either. Hey, by the way, he doesn't look at all like he had ACL surgery. Oh, cool. It, it, it's pretty cool because, you know, Julian Edelman didn't look quite the same. And he used PEDs, you know, coming off of his ACL. <laughs> so, so, like, Will Fuller, as far as we know, he hasn't used PEDs. Or at least he hasn't been pinched for it. Uh, he looks better, I think, in more... 100% than Julian Edelman did coming off of his ACL. So that was a really welcome sight. When I went out there the first few days of camp, I was like, all right, I wouldn't have, I would never have guessed that he even had surgery. He looked really good. Yeah, that's great to hear. Cause I mean, again, like a lot of this stuff too, I think even, you know, from being like a fan of a team in the game, it's like, I just want to see him play, not even so the Texans win games, but just like it's more fun. It's more enjoyable to watch Clowney. It's more enjoyable to watch Fuller. Uh, and it's, you know, just like boring whenever he's not out there and they just run the ball 45 times. Yeah, yeah, like that. Like, okay, that's the okay. Oh, that's the other big thing then. Okay, so I said play action. Will Fuller. That's kind of a cop out. I'll I'll say a better screen game and like actually well executed, well designed screens this year. Now that you have Duke Johnson, I would be so happy because even Kubiak, even when things were well, were going well, I was never really happy with the way they executed their screens. I've seen them working on them a bunch. Um, I've seen some variety in their screen games. I've seen them running and running and running like the offensive line. So that would make me really, really happy if they could actually have viable screen games that could replace your run game at times, you know, make it a long handoff. I'd feel really good about that. Yeah. And it I'll, seems simple, but it's, uh, 
teams don't always do it right. Yeah, I always love that screen Kubiak would run where you know Shaw fakes play action, looks right for like three seconds. Yeah, and then just like doesn't even look and flips it back over to Foster, and there's yeah. four guys in front of him. That was always fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just uh, just the uh, the the cavalcade. Yeah. So do you? What's the so like the Texans? You know they play a really tough schedule this year. What's the path for them to win the division, make the postseason? Just looking at their schedule. The path for them is to go two and two over the first four games. Three and uh, it's going to be two and two over the second <laughs> four games. Okay, so the second four games are the Falcons, the Chiefs, the Colts, and that's at the Colts and the Raiders. So that's like that's a hard that's a hard two and two, depending on how the Falcons' defense looks this year. Um, so you go four. So you go you, you're four and four at the midpoint, and then that's where you got to start making some hay. Oh, but in those next four games, you have the Colts and the Patriots too. Yeah. So you got to go two and two there. All right. So I'm getting to six and six by the last four games of the season. At which point it breaks. you have the Broncos, the Titans, the Bucks, and the Titans. So if you're just at 500, if you're at six and six with four games left, then you've got to make a push. So I'm going to, I'm saying you got to somehow figure out a way to be at seven and five by the time you get to those final four games. Because then you've got potentially 10, 11 games if it goes really well, and and then uh and Andrew Luck, an Andrew Luck potential pain threshold issue. I'm not gonna sit here and call Andrew Luck a wimp. I would never do that. But Frank Reich and uh, what's his name, the GM there, hey, Ballard, have they mentioned pain threshold a couple times? And I almost wonder, mm. like you don't you don't hear that a lot. You don't hear coaches or GMs say pain threshold. It's usually like, a different word, is what they say. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Di- a lot of different words is what they say. <laughs> so I don't. I wonder if like I've never thought of Andrew. I've never ever thought of Andrew Luck as not a tough guy. Like he sits back there and takes a whole bunch of punishment. Yeah. But maybe he was like really resilient and never had really bad injuries that he'd have to work through. Because now with this ankle injury, they keep talking about pain threshold. So I'm not, look. I'm not saying anything until he actually doesn't perform well in the first four. Well, he didn't perform well in the first four games last year, and it didn't matter, at least the first, what, three games. So we'll uh, we'll see about that. Yeah, I'll never forget Jacoby Brissett subbing in and throw a Hail Mary for him. I was like, oh, this is really bad for him. And the Colts, you know, still won 10 games and made, made the playoffs and beat Houston and everything else. Well, yeah, his yards per attempt was like... 5.2 like or something. It was like yeah. 4 point something, I think. Yeah, it was like, oh, he's done. This is, this is pathetic. I can't believe he's even out there. Oh, never mind. Yeah, I think the thing for Texas Houston this year is they have to beat all the run-heavy teams. So they have to beat Denver. They need to sweep Tennessee. They need to sweep Jacksonville. And then they need to beat the two worst teams, Oakland and Tampa. But like both those teams, I, I think Tampa is going to have a top-10 passing offense this year. And then they need to beat Oakland. And then they need to hope that they win enough of those, close ga- enough of those shootouts in close game situations. You know, the tough thing about Tampa is there's almost going to be like... Um... It's going to be the effect of one of those. Sometimes like with Michael Vick, it was okay. Michael Vick might not even be having a good year, but on any given Sunday, he can completely ruin your life yeah, yeah. because he's just going to have that kind of day. I feel like the Bucks are going to be like that. Like Jameis Winston, one day he's, he's like a super Fitzpatrick, you know, like one day he might completely crush you, but then the next week he throws four interceptions and it's in that Bruce Arians offense, especially with Bruce Arians encouraging him to go deep. Uh, I like that's what I'm nervous about. Like, which version of Jameis Winston do you get? Yeah. All right. So my last question for you is, what's your prediction for the Texans this season, and how do you think their season ends? I think I'm going to predict. I'm still sticking with Texans at nine and seven, just because of all those quarterbacks. Um, and I'm not. I'm not even. 
I don't even say that with any kind of like extreme panic or anything. Cause I think they could even, I think they could end up better than that somewhat easily. And then what was the second question? Uh, how do you think their season ends? Oh, all right, boy. I try not to think about this stuff, Matt. I try not to think about the actual playoffs. As long as they don't face, what do you think happens when you face... die? <laughs> <laughs> exactly what happens to the Texans in the divisional round. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> it's just completely over, <laughs> and then you don't feel you feel nothing after that. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. They've got to win a divisional game. And it, it comes down to, I'm not going to predict that they're going to win a divisional game, but I think it's, it's, it's possible for them to win a divisional game this year. Um, I can't predict it right now. I feel like, I feel like Brian Gain planned for the future a little too hardcore, and that's what you're going to see as a team that's set up well for the future, but they still need a few more tweaks. They're going to need, they're gonna need they're, they, you know what, they finally started investing higher draft picks on their offensive line, and I think they're going to need a little bit more of that, and they're going to have to figure out they're going to have to figure out how they're either going to be awesome on the back end of the defense or awesome on the front end of the pass rush, you know? Um, so those, those two things, they still need one more year of tweaking. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I, I picked them at a and a mainly because of the schedule. Uh, and then I felt a lot worse about the offensive line. And so I spoke to you about it and now I feel a bit better. And then I'll, yeah. like, I, it's set up for it to break. Like it's set up if they can be seven and five or even six and six, like you mentioned, and then win four in a row to, to get in the postseason. But like I think they definitely could even be two and five after the first seven weeks because that's how brutal that schedule is to start the year. It is. It's a brutal schedule, and you know teams change from year to year, but quarterbacks typically don't, and mm-hmm. passing offenses don't. So <laughs> they're facing a lot of good passing offenses, and the the defense hasn't the passing defense doesn't look like it's gotten enough better. So that's the you're right. That's the huge wild card right there is. How how much can you emerge unscathed or at least, you know, still battle ready from those first few weeks? But yeah. I am, man. I'm I'm honestly I'm feeling better about like the long like the intermediate term future than I was, you know, a month or two ago. And part of it's because I, I almost feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel with the offensive line. It might not click this year, but I feel good about Max Sharping and I feel good about Titus Howard's development over like the next two or three years. And if you got that you know, and especially if Titus Howard can eventually work his way out to tackle, you got the nucleus of something there. And you have $75 million in cap space next year, too. Oh, yeah, you've got that. Yeah, that, that makes <laughs> yeah, things a lot easier, But too. will they use it? That's the problem. Are they going to use it? Yeah, I, would, I don't know. I wish somebody told Brian Gain that you can't spend that money when you get fired or when you die. And, uh, yeah, and so yeah. now here we are. It's like, yeah, there's three holes that could have been, you know, like really filled up, you know. Imagine that. Imagine like Brian Gain when he got fired and he's probably thinking like, oh, wow, they they gave me all that authority and I actually could have spent that money and I yeah, didn't yeah. do it. And, and this is where I am. Yeah, it's just amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> well, I won't take up any more of your time. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Uh, I'm a lot more excited for the Texan season, even though I was already you know really excited. And it's like I'm, I can't wait for that Monday night game. And I think to me, even if like, the Texans aren't good, I think like, not necessarily if they aren't good, like let's say they're mediocre. I think this season's going to be a lot more fun than last season whenever you consider the weapons that they have available. Uh, and if, like, Clowney plays, I think that's also kind of the key as well, too. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really, I'm really looking forward to uh, two weeks from now. It'll be uh, that... Bo- and, and think of that Saints game this way. If, if you go in there on Monday night versus the Saints and you pull one out there, that's, 
that's going to be a hell of a feeling, you know, like there's just a, think about it, you know, a little scratch off there, you know, it's like a little, it's your lottery ticket that you, it's, it's improbable at this point. I don't know if there's a line out on that game yet or not, um, but it's going to be really hard going in there on a Monday night opening week. Cause we've, we've seen that story play out before after Katrina. Um, it's uh, if they could pull that off, I'm going to be feel really, really, really good about it. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for being on tonight, Seth. Uh, my name is Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. Uh, next week, we'll do uh, Jaguars and Colts preview. We'll try to figure out guests, but I'll write some some.